Welcome to episode 75 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. <laughs> and we're recording today in James's new apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. Yay! Several blocks away from where we used to live together. Very, very easy move. Yeah. So nice. <laughs> right up the street. And this is, you know, like I said, the 75th episode. So it's kind of like a milestone episode. Big deal. Uh, we are a movie podcast from New Orleans. And we did this last year when we reached episode 50. We did this like group app where we each picked a movie to make each other watch that no one else had seen yet. Uh, so today's going to be kind of like a group effort instead of like a random topic like we usually pick. Mm-hmm. And we have very strange films. <laughs> on the, I think we got three very diverse, weird movies going on today. Yeah, last time you asked me to pick a through line, like what they all had related together, and I kind of worked something out. I could not do that today. If no. you asked what did me we to. do last time? We did Zombie Ass Toilet of the Dead. Yes. Remember right? that? Uh, we did A Gnome Named Norm. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we did Deathgasm. Uh, okay. The black metal zombie horror movie. Uh, yeah. Um, I remember all of that. Yep. <laughs> also, something we don't usually do very often is ask people to like promote the show for us. That like rate and subscribe on iTunes uh, thing that you hear in every other podcast. But uh, I feel like once a year I'm going to do it on these episodes. So please rate and subscribe us on iTunes. And uh, tell other people about the show and you know spread the word around. Yes. We've gotten better since last year. The microphones sound better. Uh that's it. That's the only thing that's improved. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's over. And now our regular segment where I ask y'all, what have you been watching lately? So Brittany, what have you been watching lately? I literally watched this last night. It's a movie that is on Netflix called He's Out There. Ooh. I know. It sounds like a romantic comedy or a horror movie. It's a horror movie. From 2018. And I never heard of it. I thought it was a Netflix original, but it isn't. But like right now, Netflix has like a bunch of weird lifetime horror thrillers out there that they just kind of like shit out. And it's like a blessing of shit out movies on me. Like licensed from (laughs) Lifetime or they just like feel like Lifetime movies? They feel very Lifetime-y. It's like my teacher, my obsession. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) You know, cool stuff like that. So it kind of was grouped with that. Whenever I was trying to find a movie, so I assumed it was going to be, like, someone's crazy ex-boyfriend trying to do something crazy to this, like, woman in a house in the woods or something like that. But it's not. (laughs) It's actually, like, just a horror movie. So it was released at Fright Fest last year, which is, like, a horror film festival in London that I didn't know about until I watched this movie. Yeah, a bunch of great stuff premieres there. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of, like, delving into that. Um, So, yeah. I definitely need to pay attention to, like, what's released there this year because it'll probably be some cool shit. Um, Anyways, but it's kind of like a home invasion horror movie. Very similar to um, The Strangers, like, Pray at Night, where it's a mother and her two daughters, and they're going to their lake house in the summer. How nice. And her husband's supposed to meet them. So it's just like the girls by themselves and someone starts like terrorizing them. So it all starts where the girls are little girls. And I'm thinking they're like, I don't know, they can talk pretty well. I'm guessing they're like seven, something like that. They're little. And there's like a weird red string and they're like, what's that? So they follow the red string and there's like this weird tea party, like Alice in Wonderland style, like set up for them. And there's two cupcakes and one girl eats one of them and they're like, let's save the other one for dad when he comes. 
And the girl that ate the cupcake is like dying. Oh no. <laughs> it Man. was like poisoned. That sounds like a fairy tale. Yeah. And like she was puking up her cupcake and the mom found a little piece of paper and it had like hello on it or something like that. And then she like grabbed the other cupcake that they were saving and like opened it up and there was like this green looking antifreeze stuff in it. And it said goodbye on that piece of paper. So weird. Mm. Very weird. Um, and then they find these like wooden mannequins that are like wooden mannequin images of each family member. Like there's one for each daughter, one for the mother and one for the father. And they're like whittled in this very like strange way where like it's very like homemade looking. Yeah. So this killer kind of starts to like throw shit through the window, egg them. He throws eggs at them, <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of. Takes the tires off the car, all this, you know, great stuff. Um, and you'll soon find out that his goal is to make those mannequ- those wooden mannequins real. Like someone gets their eyes gouged out and then the eyeballs get put on the mannequin's eyes. and A tourist trap or something. Yeah, yeah, kind of tourist trap. I don't trappy. like stuff with mannequins. Oh, I love it. It's, oh, so, it's no. like legitimately creepy. I know. Yeah. That's why I don't like it. Um, and <sighs> then he like sizes like an arm of someone while they're passed out because he's going to chop it off and put it on the mannequin. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's kind of, it's good. Like, there's enough, like, suspense in it to keep it, like, really entertaining, but it's very predictable, like, as you're watching it. Like, of course, like, all this stuff sounds super crazy right now, but when you're, like, watching the movie, you're like, this is probably gonna happen. You can kind of tell what's gonna occur. But yeah, it was, it was good. I would recommend it. I liked it. He's out there. He's out there. Okay. I like those low-budget Netflix releases. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. All enjoyable. So... James, what have you watched lately? Well, I have been moving, so I haven't watched too much. Yeah. But I did get a chance to see um, the first Purge, which I think I saw the first one. I don't know how many sequels there's. I think this is maybe the third or fourth, fourth one. Fourth one, I think. Yeah. I haven't so I haven't seen the middle two. Um, I remember Brandon mentioning that he really liked it uh, last it's year. The only one I've seen in the series. Oh, really? Yeah. And I loved it. Like. I think why I liked this one so much is the political commentary was so on the nose. Mm -hmm. It's like not subtle at all. It's like, no, the government doesn't care about black people. They want the people in the inner city to kill themselves. And it's a pretty black and white. They assassinate them and frame them for crimes to justify establishing like a police state. It's so fucking real, but like exaggerated at the same time it yeah it is exaggerated but it's like i don't know it's so on the nose oh yeah i really like that and i also thought that um like the climactic battle that takes place in the um the big housing project was one of the best action sequences i saw that would have came out last year wait was it last year or two years ago oh it was okay oh the movie's the the first purge yeah it's not the first purge that's so confusing shit i was like wait i saw the first purge i don't remember any of this because okay the first the actual the first movie in the series was kind of a typical home invasion yeah and i think it's kind of like (laughs) spread to become this larger political metaphor and like I said, I haven't seen the middle two, but this one seems like it's taken it as far as you could maybe go. Um, I mean, in that last invasion sequence, the government is like posing as like purge rioters, but they're wearing like clansmen hoods and like Ooh, blackface, weird. like plastic masks. Like it does not pull punches in its politics, even though yeah. it is very like unsubtle. It's 
it's also very extreme in a way I did not expect. Yeah, it's basically the government deliberately trying to incite a race war. For sure. But, I mean, politics aside, it was just like a really thrilling, fun movie. And like I said, that final action scene I thought was completely badass. And when we did our um, best movies of the year episode, we were talking about how like weird black art has gotten and like how people are taking more chances on like weirdo projects. And I'd put that one up there with like Black Klansman and Sorry to Bother You and Blind Spotting. Like that movie takes a lot of chances, even though it's like a weird, uh, even though it's like a low budget horror film, like a Bloomhouse production. It's got kind of like some, it throws some punches, I think, politically. And when I like too that, like all the black characters have a lot of complexity and kind of warring issues, you know, different like rival gangs or like relationships or family. So they flesh out the black characters and then the white characters are pretty much just like evil politicians pulling the strings at best. They're government goons. Uh, at yeah, worst that, they're like criminal masterminds. <laughs> like, so, not, yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate the lack of subtlety. Yeah, me too. So anyway, so what about you, Brandon? Uh, I've been trying to squeeze in some like Oscar catching up, like, cause the nominations came out a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, there are a few titles that I didn't jump on, and now I'm kind of using it as an excuse. Like, oh, I should have caught up with Buster Scruggs or Roma or something by now, which I still haven't seen either of those. But I'm working on it. And one of the ones I went to the theater, it came back because it got nominated, was Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy. Oh, oh yeah, I heard that was so good. It's directed by Marielle Heller, who did The Diary of a Teenage Girl, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah, And I skipped it when it first came out. Somewhat because it just kind of looked like a Oscar season like biopic, like you know those movies where a person who's usually a comedic actor is like kind of uglying themselves up a little bit and like playing serious, and it's to get awards attention, mm-hmm. which totally worked because Melissa McCarthy <laughs> and Richard E. Grant are both nominated for a- acting awards this year. But I should have known better that it's something more than that because Meryl Heller does really subversive work. The thing is that this movie feels like a biopic. Like, it feels like your standard Oscar season drama, except the two main characters that Richard E. Grant and Melissa McCarthy play are such fucking assholes and such, like, bitter dicks that it's more complicated than your standard movie in that vein. Melissa McCarthy's playing a um, sort of has-been biographer who used to write New York Times bestsellers uh, about famous literary figures and no one wants to buy her work anymore because she's such an asshole and won't like work the system the correct way. So no one wants to be around her. And it like puts her on the poverty line, kind of. And it's a really interesting balancing act of the movie not shying away from the fact that she's like fucking cruel and, you know, bitter. And also it, at the same time, identifies with her and like empathizes with her and is like, you know, the world doesn't deserve any more than she's giving it. Like mm. she's cruel and she's bitter because the world fucking sucks. And most people are terrible. So why would you like waste any energy on them? And like being fake as fuck is not like a honest life. And she's just being honest. So yeah, it's, it's just these like two queer drunks who are mean to everyone in the nineties and it isolates them. Uh, and at the same time, the movie doesn't villainize them for that. It's like kind of justified and it's an interesting character study in that way. Well, I'm excited to see that too because I've always liked Melissa McCarthy. I, I just feel like sometimes she's put in bad movies. I like that. I know. Did you I like, like the Happy Time Murder? I liked it okay. There's other roles too where I'm just like, oh man, I think you could do 
better. And this feels like a step in the right direction. Last year, she was in Happy Time Murders and Life of the Party, which both got very negative reviews and both I thought were fine. Like, I didn't Mm -hmm. think they were great or terrible. Like, three-star whatever comedies. Mm -hmm. This movie is more like an acting showcase for her where, like, even in those two movies, she, like, fully commits to whatever role she's playing. And in this one, the role is, like, more worth the effort, maybe. Mm -hmm. Has she played in things that... Other than this, that like aren't comedies. Not that I can name. Off I think the top I head. think this is the first dramatic yeah. role for her. Oh wow! Which always feels like kind of an Oscar play, and you know, it mm-hmm. paid off. And you know, oh cool, more power to her. Like I remember seeing the preview for this, where isn't she like in a bookstore and she sees her like book in the in the bargain bin or something? Okay, yeah. cool. But the movie is darkly I funny too. That. Like she's got a sharp wit to her, uh-huh. but it's very mean bon mot that she like t- tosses out to people and like Dude. to hurt their feelings and. I know, it's kind of deliciously evil. Is she like a Meryl Streep type in here? Like, you know what I mean? Like a sort of that mean, darkly funny kind of character. Like, You're talking about like She-Devil Meryl Streep? Or? I'm thinking like the, the Devil Wears Prada. Meryl, oh, I haven't seen that. Where you think like people will sort of... Well, yeah, she's she's acting like a big yeah. shot the way that... Was she playing Anna Winter in that movie? Or mm. Anyway, she's acting like Maybe. a big shot as if she has like the weight to throw around. Yeah. But she's not famous enough to be that mean. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> and it's great. And, you know, all she really wants to do is drink scotch and, like, sit in her apartment with her cat. And, like, everything else, every other, like, social requirement is, like, this huge burden that, like, pisses her off. And I, I don't know. It sounds like a character I can identify I can with. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I relate to that tremendously. <laughs> and it's just cool to have, like, a movie, kind of like The Favorite, where, like, the main characters are queer, but the movie's not about that. Like, they just kind of are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of cool to see that trend in, like, you know, mainstream Oscar dramas nice. as well. Very cool. Well, today we're going to be talking about movies that had no chance at all of ever getting any Oscar attention. Um, maybe a Razzie. A Raz- oh, yeah. These are all Razzie-worthy, maybe. <laughs> they probably all have them. <laughs> Which, I don't know. We did this last year, too, when we picked movies for this. They're all very silly and genre-focused. I guess the, that's the vibe in these, like, party episodes. Mm-hmm. Three very different, very silly, outlandish films. Yes. All that's coming up to you right Right now. now. You know, Humes began with certain very serious disadvantages, but these they overcame with wonderful ingenuity. Not having a fang or a claw, or even a whistle worth talking about, they invented guns and tanks and bombs and aeroplanes and extermination camps and poison gas and daggers and swords and bayonets and booby traps and atomic bombs and flying missiles, submarines, warships, aircraft carriers, and motor cars. They have even perfected a process whereby they can spread a lethal disease on any part of this planet. Not to say anything about nuclear power. (laughs) Oh, during their short history, you know, Humes have subjected other Humes to death by burning, hanging, decapitation, strangulation, electrocution, shooting, drowning, crushing, racking, disemboweling, (laughs) and other methods far, far too revolting for the delicate stomachs of this August descent. And first up was Britney's selection. What did you make us watch? I made y'all watch um, a British horror anthology that's kind of a comedy too called The Monster Club. And I think like just the title kind of lets you know how it's going to be. It's like a... (laughs) 
It's like a kid's version of those like amicus <laughs> yeah. like horror anthologies. Yeah. yeah. Which the producer, it's a, I don't know if it's an amicus production, but he produced for amicus. Yeah. Roy Ward Barker. Mm-hmm. And he directed Asylum, which is like the main one of those. I think this was his last movie too, I remember reading. So, but this is him like for kids, right? This isn't his normal deal. I don't know if it's for I kids. Don't know. You don't think so? I don't know what the target audience is. That's a good question. Who knows? But um, Monster Club sounds like a kids movie, right? It does, right? And I guess like it, it's safe to watch with your children. But yeah, so the Monster Club, it's it starts with Vincent Price, who is the like nicest vampire in movie history, maybe. Like he's very polite, um, and he is kind of in this alleyway in London at night and he grabs God, I can't think of his name, but John Carradine. Yes. John Carradine. Who's known. And like, you know, he's, I think he was like a big actor in like all these like movies from the thirties and forties. Like he played in so much shit, but I know him from like a bunch of movies, like crappy horror movies from the seventies and eighties. Um, so that's where I recognized him from. So he plays this author who is a legit, like, British author, and his name is Ronald Chetwin Hayes. And this movie has three of his stories in it. Um, so it's kind of cool that he's playing the author that the stories in the movie are, like, based on. So anyway, Vincent Price kind of grabs him for a snack, but doesn't, like, bite hard enough to turn him into a vampire. And he's like, oh, like, let me thank you for, like, letting me feed on you for a little bit. There's a place called the Monster Club I want to show you. Doesn't he, like, recognize him, too? Like, he's, like, a celebrity for writing, like, horror books? Right, and he's, yeah, and he's, like, a fan. Yeah. So he's all, like, giddy about it. Um, And they go to the Monster Club, where the way he describes it is, like, there's going to be ghouls and vampires. (laughs) And you go there, and it's, like, a bunch of people in really bad rubber Halloween masks. Oh, for sure. And um, a bunch of really weird (laughs) 80s pop bands. Apparently, UB40? See, did the, so UB40, they do, but they don't appear in the they movie. They don't appear in the movie, but they do, like, whenever he's explaining, like, that list of when you mix this with a this, you get a this. Oh, my God. Their music's that playing in the background. so good. Um, yeah, there's, like, this dub music played by UB40. But, right. yeah, Vincent Price goes on this very long explanation <laughs> of, like, how a shadmuck and a werewolf mate that equals like a hume goo but if a hume goo and a what's it's mates then that's a makes a wally woo and the woo woo and the doo doo it goes on for minutes it's so absurd it's yeah it's um well one of the combinations is the first story is the shadmuck shadmuck right shadmuck yes who is a it's like a ghoul with like a, a deadly whistle it sounds like part of me is like okay so this is based on like a horror novel or a, sh- a horror short story but it wasn't scary at all he's just kind of like a kind of pathetic silly. like you know <laughs> creature who has to live in this castle because he's like so ugly people can't stand to look at and he's him. just so lonely and he yeah. just wants someone to love him and just, then he well, does pigeons kind of yeah, he tends to his pigeons yeah and- Rest in peace, cat. His cat is badass, so... Well, I guess it's not his cat, Yeah, My dog, like, almost, like, broke the TV when that cat came on. (laughs) Because the camera zoomed in on its face to where it looked like a giant dog, I think. And she was, like, so freaked out. (laughs) But, yeah, so lonely Shadmok um, living in this huge mansion. And, of course, he's loaded. He's got lots of money and jewels. Lots of riches. And this woman starts working for him at his mansion and he kind of 
has a thing for her and she kind of fake loves him because like her boyfriend's kind of using her to like get his, you know, money and all his good stuff. So kind of, I mean, you kind of guess what happens. Uh, he whistles real loud and melts her fucking face off. <laughs> and it's horrifying. Which I lo- like, it's kind of a, a personal thing. I, I just hate whistling. I don't know. I just have never been able to whistle. Yeah. I don't like hearing I can't. whistling. Whenever someone does it, it's like, where did all that confidence come from? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what gives you the right? So I, I was really tickled by that. That like the whistling is the. It was gross the though. Cause his like big, like slobbery mouth with all that really bad, like pale pasty makeup, like the camera like zoomed in and he's like whistling. You could feel the fucking saliva coming through the screen. Pretty I really wanted them to just end up together because her con man boyfriend is like piece of crap and mm-hmm. Shadmick guy is pretty cool. He's like rich. Right. He seems like a nice like guy. He would just let you do whatever the fuck you He's, wanted to do. Yeah. But that can't be because the sort of moral of all three of the tales right. is like humans are the real monsters, exactly. which is a pretty standard like horror trope. Yeah. yeah. Like I knew something was going to happen. Yeah. Because we're bad creatures. We suck. Yeah. The shad mucks are the good. The right. good um Even though you race. can whistle your fucking face off. Like the the practical gore of her face melting and like really the, good. the cat melting when he whistles at the cat, like it's such a great effect. Mm-hmm. Like uh I don't think anything else in the movie, like compare that to the, like the rubber mask ghouls <laughs> that dance at the uh monster club, it's like a whole different movie really. Yeah. So that's the first story. The second story I think that one was my favorite. For sure. It's a a family where the father is a vampire and the son doesn't know. And he gets kind of bullied at school. And this guy, this creepy old man that's watching him kind of saves him and is like, let me walk you home. Like, it's just very creepy. Um, And the the old man ends up being like a vampire killer that's trying to hunt down his father. Should we spoil the ending? Yeah, whatever. Cool. So, because it's really good. I think that's what makes it fun. Um, I laughed out loud when this happened. Well, the the vampire killer thinks he's killed the father, the vampire father, and the vampire father like musters up his last like ounce of strength to like bite the vampire killer, turning him into a vampire. So then his crew kills him, and then the dad vampire like pulls the stake out his chest and is like, "Thank God I sleep with my like stake proof vest with tomato ketchup." <laughs> yeah and then like the family hugs and then like that was like a really sweet happy ending and it fits in the theme because the uh vampire killers are not cool they're all these like evil nerds yeah and they like really are intent on not only killing the vampire but making sure his son is there to watch his father die yeah <laughs> right uh it's so like they want assholes. him to be one of him like it's like we're gonna show you how shitty your dad is and You'll be one of us. That's how I kind of like picked up on it. They just want to make their like crew bigger. Yeah, and right? Donald Pleasance is the oh, main yeah. vampire mm. hunter. It's very good. Yeah. He's always good in everything <laughs> he's in. Yeah, I think that was my favorite story too. Oh, really? It was so like lighthearted and so. sweet. For me, the stories went down in quality. I really liked The Whistler. I liked this one a little really? less. And I liked the third one the least. I, I definitely liked the third one the, the least. The third one was pro- really? Yeah. I thought the third one was like the scariest one. It, yeah, right? for sure. It's more like But yeah, it's not as creepy. cool as the first two. Yeah. It didn't have enough heart. But I was reading, <laughs> apparently the director didn't like how the movie came out. Mm-hmm. And he basically wanted the movie to be more like the third story to be actually scary, not like as campy and funny. Yeah. 
See, and I thought the movie mostly felt like a kid's horror film, and then the third one's just, like, really off. Like, it doesn't fit the tone. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe that's why it threw me off. There's really too. no lesson in there. It's just kind of. Yeah, and that one, a, a film director is on, like, a location mm-hmm. scouting mission, and then he finds this sort of, like, place that's haunted by ghouls. It's and- a village of ghouls, and then Hume Ghoul. Wait, Hume Goose? Hume Goose or something. It's <laughs> Which is such a, not half a scary human name and at all. Yeah. I, what I like the most <laughs> about that was um, when they're giving the background of like how the ghouls got to that village and they have like these really cool drawn out like storybook pictures of them. Like something happened where like someone found the ghoul and was like, oh, like he's dirty. Let's just bring him home and clean him. See, but... <laughs> Okay, those like so funny. Those illustrations of what happened are such like a um, cop out financially. Like, if yeah. the movie like ran out of money, that's exactly what I was saying. It was like, oh yeah. well, the budget ran out, so we got to put these. It works for up. me. I They're really, really liked liked it. Them, though. They're yeah. visually cool. Like, it reminds me of those like ghost stories. Those mm-hmm. like what are those called when we were kids? Those, Scary like, stories to tell in the dark. Yeah, it was like that style of illustration because it's like human naked human bodies with like these goblin faces with these like long nasty teeth but it's also like a card like a title card coming in like scene missing you know like it's like <laughs> we ran out of money before we got there uh so it's it's a cop-out but it is right. visually like it's nice and i do appealing. think the uh human are evil uh theme kind of fits with that third one because he's like this film producer that's going to this rustic like village to scout this like for an atmospheric mm-hmm. horror film and they i think they even have a line Something like he's a vampire film producer. Oh, Is there any like, other kind? Uh, draining the uh, life out of like these like small yeah. places, like using, exploiting them. Yeah, exploiting yeah. Them. So I think it okay. It was part of that too. That's a stretch though. Like the yeah. other two are very clear. That one you have to like reach a little bit. I do think the village itself was probably the most atmospheric and scary part of the whole. It's kind movie. Like a George Romero kind of vibe. It to felt it. very like. I don't know. That was like very Amicus. Like it reminded me like one of my favorite movies from Amicus is um and now the screaming starts. Oh, I haven't seen that one. It's good. It kind of it kind of made me feel like that. I don't know. You'd have to watch it. Okay. But yeah. Also very British. <laughs> we did skip over my favorite part of the entire movie. I think is I know what it strip, is. The strip scene yeah, which that's next. is so okay, you were going to get there. Okay. Yeah. So God, I love that so it's much. Amazing. It's so good. <laughs> I'm a stripper, whatever that song is. So, Beautiful bones, don't you think? <laughs> if you're going to watch this movie for any reason, it's got to be this scene. So in between each story, there's a flashback. Like it goes, you know, they tell a story and they're back at the club. Which is the wraparound. With the wraparound is just the monster club. Yeah. And then in between each story, when they're back at the club, there's a 80s pop band that puts on a performance. Which feels like bands we should know, but they're fucking nobodies. Like who's night who is you know <laughs> i like night i liked her vocals man she's giving it her all like this i i just imagine the band thinking like this is our shot this is yeah. it well apparently that song the stripper song that night sings like didn't appear in any other albums like that was just like for Ooh, it's a one-off. monster club only yeah <laughs> so it's very exclusive exclusive so yeah so that's obviously like the best performance because you know this woman or the band Night is singing this song about a stripper and then it flashes to an actual stripper coming out and then she starts taking off all her clothes and then she starts removing her skin yeah. but it's just kind of like an animated skeleton and 
whenever all of her like her face is pulled off and everything and she's just a skeleton it kind of freezes and then the like the camera pans to the audience and like the little rubber mask their eyeballs are popping out like oh yeah i'm too horny to be alive (laughs) it's so good and so, <laughs> I think that's, like, the best, like, confluence of the movie's two poles. Like, I really do feel like this is, like, a very kidsy horror film, especially with, like, the rubber mask party where right. like, all these, like, ghouls are sort of dancing to this, like, pop music. It's very, like, only a child could be... I mean, I'm a child at heart, but, like, only right. a child could be, like, excited by this. This is so cool. Yeah. Monsters rule, okay? <laughs> Monsters rule, okay. Yeah, 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 And then to, like, <laughs> smash that up with, like, this tantalizing strip tease, like, it just felt like two different influences yeah. uh, mixing together, and I really loved that. That was for the parents, What was sure. the other song? It was like, I'm a sucker for your love. I'm a pain in the neck, baby. Yeah. <laughs> is that, oh, and the guy has, like, the big purple lips and mm-hmm. like a very long like Rick Ocasek face. He reminded me of the Nazi band from uh, Blood Diner. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. They had a similar energy. Also, second favorite part of this movie after the stripper, which yeah. is probably the best part. Vincent Price's speech at the end about how humans are the real monsters. It really makes you feel like shit. It goes on for like <laughs> three minutes. Like he just rambles about all the different ways we kill each other and like create mass famine and mm-hmm. war and gas chambers and it, yeah, it gets really dark. Usually those speeches are like after the conclusion of a film, which that's how it arrives. But usually they're like a few seconds. Like, yeah, it's like one or two sentences. But Twas beauty killed the beast or whatever. Yeah, but it's literally like there a lecture. Yeah. Hammering it into your skull. <laughs> yeah. So Monster Club is basically about how shitty we all are. Great. Mm, <laughs> okay. Good movie. And then they just dance the night away. The mm-hmm. dancing and the club part. Fantastic. I have no problems with any of that. It's it's so funny how like every song Vincent Price says, oh, this is our song. And I'm like, you said that for every song. (laughs) Which one is the Monster Club song? It's like a, a, just a charming, like, let's throw on a show. We have $20 to make a movie. Let's go buy some rubber monster masks and dance (laughs) to like pop music. And just watching Vincent Price like try to dance. It's just hilarious. And I like how he and um, John Carradine like dance with like much older ladies. Like usually they'd be like dancing with like some young 20 somethings or yeah. something, but they bring in these like kind of older women to dance with. Oh yeah. yeah. Not even age appropriate. It's still way younger than either of those like old geezers, but uh, it just like was a really funny visual. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah. You know, I th- so I think this was like the first movie that Vincent Price had played in for like five years or something like that. Oh wow. Um, It's just interesting how like, I think I like him. I think he has a good spirit. He was probably like, yeah, this sounds fun. Because I think they initially wanted to get Christopher Lee to play um, the author. What's his name again? R. Chenwin Hayes. R. Chenwin Hayes. Yes. And he's like, oh, and then apparently he heard what the movie was called. And he was like, fuck no. Right. He just heard <laughs> like, the title. He's like, Monster, nope, the Monster Club. But not he's a like, member. No, <laughs> no thanks. Um, but yeah, it's fun. So I'm, I think you both liked it, right? Yeah, yeah. I did. I, it's on Blu-ray now. I think it's easy to like way. a movie that has those like breaks. You know, you got three different stories and you got mm-hmm. the fun like bands playing between. It was just like a breezy, like kind of fun yeah. viewing experience. And I will say on Tubi TV, this is free and yeah. like surprisingly crisp quality for that network. And mm-hmm. you know, there's like this like really harsh green and red cross lighting the way there are always are in those like you know, freak, not freak show, um, creep show, creep show type, uh, horror anthologies. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a ad break in 
it when I watched it until like over an hour into the film. Like I forgot I was watching a free channel. <laughs> uh, I was like like over an hour in, there was like one ad break. Um, so I don't know. Watch it there. It's yeah, like really yeah, high totally. quality. Yeah, and I doubt they'll take it off because it's part of like the I think Shout TV or something. Oh, okay, cool. Where they have like all these cool shitty horror movies that just stay on there forever. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So cool. It's not my finest hour on celluloid, but um, it was strange because I spent all the shooting time on my knees with, and I work with with real little people, you know. So they would say, okay, that's, you know, one hour lunch. And I would stand up. And James is up next. Uh, what did you make us watch, James? Uh, so I made y'all watch Tiptoes, which I have kind of heard through the grapevine was a what grapevine (laughs) yeah what rotten like (laughs) shriveled grapevine a friend of mine who knows i'm kind of you know into weird bad movies texts me he's like have you seen this he just sent me the trailer i was like oh my god like what the hell is this and basically i going into it i thought this was going to be a comedy um the cover art and the trailer kind of make it seem like it's like it'd be, be a rom-com like a rom-com yeah. rom-com and it is not that <laughs> so basically this stars matthew mcconaughey who is married to who's a cape back and sale and he he plays this like this fireman or whatever and they're in this committed relationship and it turns out that he is the only average sized person in a family of little people and he d- Keeps this a secret from his girlfriend for whatever reason. And his brother shows up at the house and she finds out like, oh, wow, he's uh, he's kept this secret from me. Like, why wouldn't he tell me his family is little people? And this is all played like a heartfelt drama. It, it feels like a like a lifetime movie. I'd agree with that. Yeah. yeah. And um, she becomes pregnant and the kind of central conflict in the middle part of the movie is do we want to raise a child with dwarfism or should we abort it which is super dark it's like is she brave enough to actually have like a dwarf child (laughs) it's really sad yeah it's really sad but she's not the one struggling with it it's matthew mcconaughey who has all these issues about his family being little and he, him not dealing with it. And she's basically like, you should go to therapy because well, your he, reaction to this is fucked up. That doesn't up. happen until the end where yeah. he fucking pops off. What's we, Okay, so what's really strange in this movie Oh, is, just, what is it? <laughs> there's a lot of yeah, things. Sum it up in one sentence, please. But I, what I, something I found fascinating was how Matthew McConaughey's character, like his motives and feelings completely change. So in the first part yeah. of the movie, he's defending, you know, Kate Beckinsale is kind of ignorant of, she calls the family midgets, and he's like, no, 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 we're That's not midgets. That's a slur. That's a right. slur, we're dwarves, which I think is just as bad yeah, maybe, nowadays. Maybe, I mean, this was 2003, so 15 years is a pretty long time right. for things So to- he's correcting, he obviously like loves his family, and, you know, he's accepted, you know, his family of little people, and but then once she gets pregnant... And the thought of him having to raise a little person freaks him out and it becomes like really like violent and angry. Yeah. And he's a monster. And he like totally 
to, like rejects her. He, they separate. So his motives as a character make absolutely no sense. I will put a wrinkle in that though. Early on, even though he is like very accepting of the yeah. little people community and like knows his place in it, he also hides them as like a shameful he does. thing. Yeah. So that darkness is there. And okay. Yeah, I think it just comes out because he gets to like sort of compartmentalize and be like, that's part of my life, but I live this like regular life on the side of it. Yeah. Where I don't even have to think about it most of the time. Right. And then when those two, when that like wall crumbles between those two different worlds, that's when he like flips out and becomes like an abusive asshole. It's still like weird how it's so reversed though. Instead of him being like, I didn't want to tell you because I just can't handle it. And then him like having a child and then, you know, learning to deal with it. Like most movies go that route. Nope. Where he's he's like the fun loving guy that's like, hey, let me educate you on like dwarves and little people. And then he just kind of abandons his wife and child. I really (laughs) want to talk about the ending and like the the third act. But yeah, we got it. There's a whole elephant in the room we have not addressed yet. And it's which one? Gary Uh, Oldman. Oldman. (laughs) (laughs) That elephant's name is Gary Oldman. Well, I there's two elephants for me, but Gary Oldman is a big one. (laughs) Well, okay. Okay. I know what the second one is too, (laughs) but the Gary Oldman who plays his brother his uh, twin brother. His twin brother, which I don't know how y'all felt. I actually thought this was a really good performance. No. Well, yeah, this performance is a hate crime. It's really? advertised <laughs> as Gary Ullman in the role of a lifetime and all oh, the advertising God. for is, this movie. Is. Let me let me defend it. Okay, first of all, he plays Matthew McConaughey's twin brother. Uh-huh. And there were a few times where he was speaking that it sounded just like Matthew McConaughey. Well, because like they both have his... southern accents, but their parents don't. <laughs> but Gary well, Roman yeah, has like a posh like, is... British accent. Well, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, It's just weird. Yeah, But I think what's really egregious is, like, as the movie shows, because it has Peter Dinklage, and it's got some other... Actually, every, like, 90s, 2000s, like, little person it's actor. Got, I forget. I don't know the actor's name, but the guy that was in, like, Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. But no Warwick Davis. There. There's also a... A character played by a porn star, Bridget the Midget. I remember her, yeah. So she, she made, used to she, do a lot of talk show rounds and yeah, stuff. Yeah, she was on Howard Stern a lot and stuff. Yeah. So she's in there. They Every little person they could find that was in Hollywood at that time, they throw in this mm-hmm. movie. But the big role goes to Gary Oldman, which is kind of a slap in the face. The whole point of yeah. the movie seems to be this like issue film about little people and their struggles but it is undermined by the fact that they give the main role to an able-bodied, like full-grown person. Can I read you my favorite quote about that? Yes. Uh, Nathan Rabin wrote about this in My World of Flops, which is like when I first heard about this movie. This is Nathan Rabin. Tiptoes wants us to believe that little people can do anything, except apparently play a key role in Tiptoes. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. about sums it up. It's, and about sums it up, um, yeah. In an interview, I think they were talking to Kate Beckinsale about it, and she was saying, you know, oh, Gary Oldman was so great, but he literally, like, put his knees in shoes. Oh, yeah, like, he was on his knees. Like, that thing that kids do. Like, <laughs> it's just crazy that they put all this effort into, like, making him a little person but, instead of just getting funny, a little person. In the opening credits, there's, uh, it was, like, special effects by so-and-so. Why? What are the special effects? Like someone decided well, to they made him, him bind he had his fake body. legs when he was sitting on the sofa. <laughs> That's the special effects. Was I just want to know. I want to hear like an interview <laughs> with him. Like, what did you do? <laughs> and yeah, make a hunch. Yeah, God. but a lot of times it appears like when he is walking, it's just from the back 
or a lot of shots are just from like the waist up. His shoes were it's so a big. Cop out. It's an insane amount of effort for something that was completely unnecessary. Like, there's so many talented. Why not get Peter Dinklage to play his brother? And the movie, okay. Peter Dinklage is worse than Gary Oldman in this movie. Let's let's get that wait, out of the way. Wait, what? He was worse. The Marxist French dwarf? Fuck yes. that character. That character is horrible. <laughs> and Patricia, Patricia Arquette and Peter Dinklage, who are these like side characters. <laughs> what are I, they? They are truly awful and a huge distraction. But before we even get there, like the opening of the movie is Matthew McConaughey slinking off to this the Little People Defense League meeting that's like mm-hmm. an annual celebration. And it's like they pack this fucking huge conference hall full of like tons, like hundreds of little people. And it's like, okay, we have all these people on hand. We know how to get in contact with them. Here comes Gary Oldman and for some fucking reason, like <laughs> taking a job away from them. Off his motorcycle. Uh, oh my God. It's so just careless and like Okay, but blatant. did you not think, just putting all that aside, acting wise, like... He probably had the most realistic performance. What did he do that a little person couldn't do in the film? Like, no, that's what I mean. Put that aside. Just can't. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just impossible to put that aside. Like, it's so much effort for such a mundane. Like, I think it's a good performance and a really bad choice. Like, I hate bad choice, bad (laughs) film. But he did. He worked with his what job. He had. It's like stealing food out of people's mouths. <laughs> like I think, he, them to I watch. think Peter Dinklage is much worse. Oh, he gives the worst performance in the movie. He even though he's the best actor in the movie. Drunken, mean, terrible Mar- like French Marxist, accent. like kind of anarchist. He wants this like little person revolution through violence. It's just a very bizarre character. And he's like dating this hippie. That he picks up on picks the side up of the road. on the side of the road and... Oh my god! Like, and he like sleeps with her in a motel room on the side of Gary Oldman. It's just like a weird. It's just weird. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, I think maybe they did it because, like, remember he kind of had those health issues where, like, he's he like, "Oh, my stomach," and "Oh, I'm in so much pain." But they could have done that to the other characters too to show. Like, I think they did it to be like, "Oh, like." When you're a little person, you do have, you know, complications and things like that. But they could have not had that character and still had well, that. That's like when Kate Beckinsale goes to McConaughey's family and is asking the most ridiculous questions. Like Wikipedia you, level like, yeah, information. Do you feel pain? Can you breathe like us? Like, it's yeah, like, so what? insulting. Yeah, it's really insulting. Yeah. But they patiently explain it like a pamphlet or something. Like, well, this is what my life is like. Uh, yeah. you know, here's the bullet points of like how I'm different. And it's so interesting how she's like this artsy character where people who have like, you know, artsy personalities aren't that ignorant usually. And like, well, you know what I mean? That insensitive because they're more in tune with things like that why did they make like they should have made her like a different like her mom like her mom's like this like suburban uptight woman yeah yeah, exactly it would have been better it was just weird like her being like an art like a free-loving artist and then like being so like close-minded it was so strange i will say one thing just thinking about that i did like about peter dinklage and patricia arquette is a lot of times they're just kind of hanging out just kind of off to the like side. Like at a like, wedding they're not invited to? Yeah, at the wedding they're not invited, but they're just kind of on they're the lawn. picnicking on the yeah, lawn. Yeah, picnicking. Tossing out facts about how the asshole is the strongest muscle in the body, you know? Yeah, yeah just weird. And just does that braid his side. hair? Go, yeah, yeah. It has like cornrows. Honestly, it's just like 
all that level like French accent that like really just threw me off with that character. Oh, it's annoying he, to listen when to. When he shows up to this like party thrown by David Allen Greer, which is a very bizarre cameo. In Little Richard drag, that... where you're like, oh, why is he dressed like Little Richard? And you're like, wait, Little Rich? Okay, I get it. And like... <laughs> his whole purpose is like, he, like, he throws parties to fuck little people. Yep. That's it. And there's actually a scene where like Gary Oldman's character walks in on Bridget the Midget having Let's sex with... talk about that for a second. <laughs> because why are they at this party and they're in a room that is made purely of glass and they are having sex and Gary Not, Oldman like walks in and is like, oh no. And I'm like, everyone can see. Yeah. Like... They're like practically a, a floor show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I do... <laughs> but anyway, so... Describing it, it sounds like, oh, this could be tongue-in-cheek, like, funny, I can laugh at it. That's not the tone of this thing It's deeply all. uncomfortable. Yeah, it takes itself very seriously. Uh, the director did the Freeway movies. Have you ever seen those? Mm-mm. His name's Matthew Bright. Freeway- oh, that's with Nicole Kidman, right? No, no. Um, Who's in that? Natasha Lyonne, and uh, the first one is Renee Zellweger. Nope, I haven't seen them. I think it was something else. Uh, they are so good. <laughs> like, really? It's this trashy, like... You know, Showtime, Skinamax level, like, uh, sleaze. And this movie has a sleaze to it. Like, one of the first arguments Kate Beckinsale and um, Matthew McConaughey get into, she, like, tries to solve it with a blowjob. The first (laughs) entrance of Peter Dinklage and Gary Oldman, they, like, ride into the scene on these, like, hogs playing, like, you know... Very shitty blues rock in the background. Oh, I knew when when it started, it goes into the most generic white person like blues music you've ever heard. <laughs> blues like, hammer. Oh no, yeah, this is gonna be real bad. But yeah, he disowned the movie because of like some production arguing, and you can tell there's something off about the tone. Like you have the like reading the Wikipedia article bullet points on like what a little person's life is like. You have the rom-com stuff between him and Kate Beckinsale. And then that turns into this like, you know, very dark drama about Mm -hmm. these like deep psychological issues that Matthew McConaughey is like running away from. And then the ending of the movie is fucking insane. It does not follow any screenwriting pattern I've ever seen in a film before. Right. And actually in a way it is the best part. Totally agreed. It makes sense. Cause it's like the whole time, the Gary Oldman character, the brother, is like very nice to Kate Beckinsale, and he's like mm-hmm. taking care of her child and being really Aww. supportive and just being a really good like friend. And obviously, that turns into more. And the movie ends with them kissing. So she obviously is done with Matthew McConaughey and is like going to. That's a huge start- reveal, and like, there's nothing to follow it up. No, and just ends. Yeah, ends on the wow. kiss. So the baby's gonna think his dad is. His- I want a sequel. Better for the baby. There there should be a sequel. If Matthew Bright from Freeway had complete total control, it could work. Uh, But yeah, I I think there's something really interesting about that ending. Like it feels like in Monster Club where we're talking about them running Mm -hmm. out of funding and you know having those like insert shots. It feels like there should be a third act. It felt like it was another movie starting. Right. Yeah. It did. And it just abruptly ends that is the craziest m night Shyamalan type oh, twist i've seen recently you're so right <laughs> but see, like the biggest twist of them all again like they plant the seeds throughout to where i was thinking at the end i was like wait there's no way it's actually going to do this payoff and sure enough like Ugh. she was like you can kiss me and oh and that's it god <laughs> it's kind of like her and like matthew mcconaughey like the way that their characters evolve or like 
crisscrossing each other. Cause like, yeah, she's like this bitch where I forgot to like mention this, but I don't know why I thought this was one of the craziest parts is whenever she finds out that her, well, that his brother's like a little person, she drives out to his job and like interrupts him, like training firemen. And is like, I didn't know your brother was a little person. <laughs> and it's like, you did all this. Like you drove all the way out to tell me this. <laughs> and she has this ridiculous deal, but... hat on, like it's like striped <laughs> hat, and it's apparently like her hat in real life. It's her like lucky hat or some shit. Yeah, and she has very. Um, the thing I found most distracting with her weird. is she has like these drawn-on tattoos that are really fake bad. as fuck. So bad. Yeah, it's like the ones that you get at the quarter machine at Pizza Hut. Right. Yeah, I still have like five that I don't want to use. I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to get rid of them. Well, and what? <laughs> one other thing that really kind of took me back with this movie was how foul mouthed it is they drop f-bombs like every other word it i i don't know what the count yeah. is but it felt like pulp fiction or like every other word it's motherfucker this feels like this. post um miramax kind of like edgy you know indie filmmaking but then mixed right. with this like rom-com stuff and this like very schmaltzy little and, people and messaging films who it is so all lot. over the place. It's a it's mess. A it's a lot. And it's an uncomfortable mess. And you know what? So here's a pattern so far with Monster Club and Tiptoes. Like, <laughs> oh shit. Like, oh, tread lightly. Yeah. <laughs> like, non little people are monsters. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, Matthew McConaughey is the villain like, in this film. All the little people in the movie are like very pleasant, but like all the. Except for Peter Dinklage. He's a monster. He just has an issue. He does have issues, yeah. He's an alcoholic. <laughs> I just don't see what his character adds to the film in any way. He could have been the brother right. instead. Like, why? And without the stupid French accent, which was And horrible. without <laughs> Patricia Arquette, who really... They never, like, delve into her character and why is she the way she is? What does she want out of life? Why is she... Why hasn't she, like, left after she has the ride? (laughs) It really does feel like an incomplete project. Like, there Uh was some stuff that didn't get filmed or something, and they had to, like, work this out. Yeah. Total mess. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And not in a fun way. (laughs) (laughs) I really, when I chose this one, I thought it was going to be fun for everybody. and It kind of felt like rubbernecking, like... a little rubbernecking. I yeah. liked it. I liked watching Matthew McConaughey go off the deep end at the end and He's just scary. become like this douchebag. Yeah. Because he has such like an intense attitude where like when he's in those movies where he has an actual serious role, he's scary as shit. Yeah. Like his children must be so scared of him when he fusses them. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like when he puts on his like mean man Stern. pants. <laughs> Is that fucking a thing? Baby's crying in the hospital. He just punches a he hole punches in the wall. A wall. And this is Can't like uh, at a hospital, a little people hospital, because like the doctor's a little person. There's like little people in the waiting room. And this and is a long time before Killer Joe when he like started like really playing like villainous kind of like right. creeps. Oh, frailty, uh, right? I didn't see that. Was that the one with him? Is he in frailty? He is in frailty. That's that. Okay. Ooh, That's an awesome movie. You would like that, Brandon. That's a good movie. It's a very good this movie. This is a bad movie. This is a bad movie. Very bad movie. Well, to get that bad taste out your mouth, watch Frailty so you can get a good, mean Matthew McConaughey. I just don't know if... I don't know if this could be pulled off. I, I kind of admire it that it was trying to... There should be a movie like that addresses some of these issues, but this is not the vehicle. No. Not in an insensitive way. 
Yeah, it's try- It's a message film that's like insensitive to the people it's trying to right. endear you to. It's at the very least, Gary Oldman should not have been cast as one of the little people. Like on a <laughs> yes. very basic level, like Gary that Oldman. was a massive mistake that crippled the film like early on. That and the center of the film being like, you're such a good person for not like deciding not to have your baby solely based on the fact that it's going to be a little person. <laughs> It's very low so standard weird. for what makes a good person in this film. Yeah, yeah. Don't watch this to like. <laughs> Don't watch this. Yeah, Cut. no. Period. Stop. Stop right there. third film was my selection. Cece and I went to see this movie called 2.0 in the theater a little while ago because it was a slow month at the movies. Like nothing was really coming out we wanted to see. So let's just go see this Indian sci-fi film uh, that's three hours long and just looks like an oddity. And we had no idea what we were watching going in. And it took me about a half an hour into the film to realize it was a sequel to a film we had not seen before. Which is always a I cannot believe there's a sequel to this movie. And I recognized it because there are gifs from the original film that a lot of the visual language is like repeated in the second one. So there's a lot of gags from the first movie that were repeated in the sequel. Personally, I enjoyed the sequel a little more than what we're about to talk about. It's it's about evil cell phones. Uh, and like this ghost that inhabits all the smartphones in the world and then forms them in this giant bird monster. Whoa! It's really great. I advise <laughs> y'all to seek it out. But I took this opportunity of us watching movies the rest of us hadn't seen yet to go back and watch the original to sort of get the context of this like insane movie we had seen in the theater. Uh, the film that we watched today is called Intherin. It's roughly translated to Robot. It's a Tamil language Indian film, so it's not Bollywood, which is in Hindi. It's Kaliwood with a K, mm. which is the Tamil language version of that. But it has a lot of the same tropes. It's three hours long. Uh, a lot of the narrative is interrupted for music video type asides that have nothing to do with the plot. Like a lot of Asian cinema, there's no one tone to it. It's both a sci-fi action superhero movie and like a romance and a horror film and just every genre you can really name mashed together so that you get your money's worth, your rubies worth when you go out to the theater. In this original film, it's kind of this Frankenstein story where this guy played by uh, superstar Rajni uh, is how he's building the credits, um, who's a politician and a famous like Tom Cruise type like action star. He is a brilliant scientist who builds this robot called Chitty. Uh, and Chitty is the ultimate action <laughs> hero because he's an android who is you know, smarter, stronger, faster uh, than any human around. So it's this like ultimate fantasy, like all those Arnold Schwarzenegger and like Stallone movies, like where you know 
they're basically playing like living gods who cannot be destroyed. Chitty is even better than that. Like he's like this like <laughs> ideal action star, but he just doesn't understand emotion. He doesn't have heart. Uh, so to make him a fully rounded person and to understand empathy and morality, they program human emotions into him. And that is sort of his downfall. Chitty falls in love with Rajni's uh, girlfriend. And because they're both played by the same actor, Rajni also plays Chitty. Uh, there's a lot of like good dual acting chops where the two of them are uh, fighting each other. He also gets abducted and reprogrammed to be an evil Chitty version 2.0 by a um, you know rival scientist who wants to sell him off as like military weapons. I could sit here and list off all the things that happened in this movie, and we'd be here for five I'm at, hours. I'm actually yeah. just staring at you. I just want you to just keep going and try to sum up this three-hour just extravaganza. It's so insane. I'd say the main joy of the film is that you have no idea what is going to happen in the next three minutes. It's so unpredictable. What did y'all just think about walking into this blind? It's not. I mean, I saw 2.0 in 3D at the theater blind. And still watching this one, I had no idea what was going to happen from minute to minute. I, I think like it was about the hour and a half mark. We're like. <laughs> so halfway through. <laughs> about halfway through where I don't know. Like I, I started to get this state of delirium. Sort of. I'm just like, whoa, like I'm so flabbergasted. And like, I don't know. Yeah. You're just bewildered yeah. at what's happening. And you just kind of have to go along for the ride. But man, it it feels like three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I mean, in a fun way, there's a lot that happens. It's never not like it's never boring. It's never boring. I started to lose my mind at the point where the mosquito <laughs> yes, started talking that back. Is like a part <laughs> at that point, I was just kind of like, Ugh, like my whole body was just like numb. There's a lot of like broad humor in the movie. Like there's a sequence where. Chitty gets into a fight about how loud stereos are at like a uh, with all those cool guys that like dance really well. (laughs) And then uh, the mosquitoes, a mosquito bites the woman he loves, which is the scientist's girlfriend. He makes the mosquito apologize. Yeah, like he's doesn't he like have a conversation where he like they sacrifice a mosquito to him, kind of. He has a minutes long <laughs> negotiation with a swarm of mosquitoes that is a yeah. back and forth. Like when it's another thing where it's like you think that would last for like two minutes. It's like thirty minutes of them fucking talking. <laughs> I mean, it's like that with the action sequences too. Like there's a pretty awesome scene on a train that it felt like it went oh, yeah. on for about half an hour. And, mm-hmm. and then the big climactic battle feels like it goes on for half an hour 45 minutes and but it, the climax definitely goes for it. it it is like even though you've seen constant surprises for the three hours before that three hours before that uh yeah. the uh fi- final action sequence does try to you know outdo itself there's mm-hmm. a lot of copies of chitty form <laughs> these like gestalts you know giant snakes and giant one person robots where it's like a bunch of little chitties like formed to make one big <laughs> so chitty. Many, it, yeah. It reminded so me chitties. of like, like kaiju size battles. I like that. You know, that second matrix movie where Smith, there's all the replicas. It's like if they all got together and formed one giant Smith and a Cobra or whatever, like a, it's insane. And he has like magnetism skills so he can like <laughs> steal everyone's, weapons that are pointed at him and then turn them back around and this like rotating firing mechanism guns that 
he forms like a ball made of guns and he just rolls around shooting in every single direction. Like, even I really love that even though you've seen just constant pounding insanity for three hours that even mm-hmm. at the end it can continue to surprise you like i find that very yeah. exciting yeah absolutely um there's so much like this is the first movie i've watched that has like an over a billion dollar budget i think like it's a billion rubies oh fuck. It apparently isn't as much i thought that was in dollars because i was like they had so much like when you think of like all the actors that are in it and everything like that for three hours. I would almost believe you if it was a billion, though. Like, because it How feels many like rubies to a dollar. It's weird because if you translate it now, it doesn't seem like a lot. It's like ten million. Yeah, it came out to like ten, fifteen million, which doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. No. I don't know what the exchange so... rate was in 2010 when this was made. Yeah, uh, this took ten years of development. It was the most expensive movie made in India at that. Yeah, point, it's, so. you, you could tell it's like super expensive with all the shit they do in it. Except, like, they definitely didn't splurge when they made those cool CGI babies. <laughs> they were, like, the most disturbing things. Like, the one that he's throwing up in the air to play with and the one he, like, helps deliver. Oh, that was... Oh. A fucking nightmare. Whenever, like, that woman's, like, hip bones open and, like, that... We can talk about that for a minute because that's the one thing I did not appreciate about this film that in the sequel didn't really come up as much is there's mm-hmm. a lot of uncomfortable cultural differences, like... The scene where he's delivering the baby is very intimate in this woman's body, where he's yeah. like turning this baby around and like using her body as like this birthing machine. Well, she's dying. And then there's that, but you juxtapose that with like, uh, there's a very long sequence where Chitty is preventing a gang rape on a train, which is like a very real problem in India. Yeah. Well, and there was like a particular case to where a woman did get gang raped, and like, they're sort of mimicking it with everyone trying to take cell phone videos yeah. of it, which is what happened in real life. And then there's this other sequence. Oh, are you going to talk about the fire thing? Yes. That was so disturbing. Chitty saves a woman from a fire and she was taking a bath when the fire started. Or at least, you know, preventing burning alive yeah. by hanging out in the bathtub. And when he saves her and brings her outside, she's still naked and everyone sees her. And CNN reports her, you know, nude shame, which is an absurd well, it's concept. It's weird too, they like blur out. Instead of just covering up the nudity, they blur it out. I've never seen blurred nudity in a movie before. That which was which is me. almost like in Japanese um, mm-hmm. pornography, they do a similar. It's yeah. a weird, like, why even sh- just cover it up? She kills herself, and it's supposed to be this understandable thing. Like she'd rather, like, she would rather have died in the fire than be, like, naked the in public. The shame of being naked in but public. Do you think, like, they were trying to say something about that in the movie? Because Shidi's like, I'm naked too. Who gives a shit? Because he's, like, know. a robot, so he doesn't have, like, that human. I, you know, what I picked up on more was some of the racial stuff. The skin tone. The skin tone. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of the bad people in this movie are, like, darker right. skin. And at one point, I think a character even says something like, uh, to that He says, effect. you are beautiful and I am dark and ugly. Yeah. Uh, to which is, Rajni's girlfriend. Really fucked. We, we bucked against this when we were talking about zombie-ass toilet of the dead, too. Like, I'm not, you know, entrenched enough in that culture to know... Yeah, we're judging it from the outside. Right, yeah. And this is an, definitely an extreme... Even though this is populist, like, James Cameron-level, like, sci-fi action cinema, mm-hmm. this is still, like, a really absurd, over-the-top film. So it's hard to know, like, what's, you know, standard culture and what's, like, an outlier. I, it's it's a really thin line. But I will say that there were more parts of this film that made me uncomfortable in that way than in 2.0, where I feel like it's very different. Uh, and it was made eight years later, oh, so... Okay. I don't know. If that stuff was like a huge turnoff in this one, I would not use that as a deterrent from watching 2.0 because it, it came up less. 
Yeah, I. But those I mean, are like very small, isolated moments in this very long picture. Yeah, I mean, you're so, you're just so like overwhelmed when that kind of stuff pops up. I mean, you take it in, but again, you're just along for the ride, and because mm-hmm. like a minute later, there's going to be some insane, over the top thing that will just totally wipe your memory. Yes. Clean. It just, <laughs> That's what did exactly y'all what happened. Think of the music videos. I feel like those are the palate cleansers, like I, to reset the uh, the situation. Some of them were very like Britney Spears, like, and I love that. Like, there's one where it's like post mosquito conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it looks like they're replicating that Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson scream. I was thinking I was, No Scrubs, which is the okay, same cool. vibe. I was yeah. thinking Hype Black, Williams. I was thinking Black Eyed Peas. Oh, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of a, okay. It's like, yeah, just like that futuristic pop. There's a little Daft Punk in there too. So freaking cool. The music was phenomenal. Like I like downloaded the soundtrack. I did like the music a lot. Boom, boom, Robota. 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 Zoom. Zoom. Robota. It's like, and there's dance moves to every song. Yeah, I love the music. I love so how they much. do not give a shit about copyright infringement and just have lightsabers in like one of the main. <laughs> that's what I was reading about Bollywood before doing this, and like apparently that's a huge issue in a lot of the. I know this isn't technically Bollywood, but Indian films in general, they don't really look at plagiarism as like that big of a deal, and it's not really something that you can like bring a lawsuit over. So you get a lot of just outright. Yeah, there's like a Bollywood Purple Rain uh, riff that's like pretty blatant. And oh, they've right. done some like superhero stuff like that too. Hmm. But yeah, I picked up a lot of that. Like, oh, you're just ripping off. Oh, like, it's just the Daft Punk helmet. Like, what is it? Um, <laughs> the robot in the beginning, he's called R2. <laughs> Come on, it's fucking Star Wars. Did we, that's great. And the same thing with the lightsaber. And there's more examples, but apparently like that's kind of par for the course. I found myself a little frustrated with the music videos that had nothing to do with science fiction at all. Like they were just in the desert or like on the top of Kilimanjaro. I like the desert one too. With the like the and there's like llamas and like ostriches around. You're the pigeon yeah. of the sky and <laughs> I, one of my favorite things to do while watching this was trying to sing along with the English <laughs> subtitles and it just did not match up. You have like, plenty of time to fill. Because they're full length music videos. Like it's an entire song from front and to it's end. Like, you know, it's like you know how much it costs to put on a music video oh, a and there's like so many in here. It's just like so lavish. And did they really go to Machu Picchu for that oh, yeah, video? For sure. You think they did? Um, oh yeah, they did multiple um, location scouting stuff in South America, trying to find the right place. Oh my god! And they settled there. God, that's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> and yeah, like you said earlier, like it does feel like one of the more expensive films I've ever seen. Like just throwing more and more money at the screen. Yeah, like it got to the point where like. It was like halfway through where I'm like, okay. And it kept going and I'm like, I just kept seeing money after yeah. that. I was just sort of like, oh my God. <laughs> That's how I found that scene. It made me nervous. Kind of in the middle where we get the bad cheaty and he's on this <laughs> like extended chase sequence where multiple cars are getting blown up and he's <laughs> flying through cars. He's picking up cars. He, I'm just like. Money, money, money everywhere. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not all CGI. Like, there's a like, lot of CGI ways. in the film, but there's a lot of practical effects yeah. in there too. They build a lot of the robots. They blow up real ass cars. There's like, it's not done on someone's laptop or something. Like, there's a ton of just excess mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, and as kind of cheesy as it looks, it's pretty like well done. You wouldn't mistake they- it for a Marvel film, but it's doing more interesting <laughs> stuff with the CGI. I would right. Say. That's how I felt. Like, yeah, it looks a little cheesy, but. 
goddamn, we have a giant like cheaty cobra. <laughs> like that's insane. It's like uh, it reminded me of watching Stephen Chow films. Uh, you know, Shanghai Soccer and Kung Fu. What's his? Uh, uh, oh, um, do you do Kung Pao? History something? of the, oh, the okay. Uh, I was thinking of like history of the West or journey to the West. Oh, he might've done that. It was, it was either him or Troy Hawk. He also right. did uh, the mermaid a few years ago, which I really mm-hmm. loved, but it's like using at a certain point when you're using that much CGI, your eye is not going to be tricked into believing this stuff is real. Yeah. And it's usually just leaning into the artificiality of that. It's like, okay, well let's, what's the most ridiculous fucking thing we can come up with to use this. Right. Which is a different philosophy than like trying to make CGI look like, real life yeah like it's more like using the tool for what it's worth instead of like trying to hide mm-hmm. it and yeah by the time there's like 200 cheaties like mapped together and rolling around in a ball that's like made of guns it, it's just i didn't like <laughs> so over the top i didn't like look into like i don't know that much about the culture probably to even like remark on this but like his name isn't very like you know when you think of like an action hero like it's not a very like bold intense name i think it's like a nickname it's like a hero it's like it sounds like very sweet like cheaty it's like the hero to everyone it's like friends to children and people everywhere well you know what i was thinking was like i want a crossover of like cheaty and chappy like that that's what i feel it felt like chappy a chappy cheaty. yeah chappy cheaty is this a pro chappy podcast because i love chappy i love chappy Chappy's good you no know, and it yeah. gives me like a similar feeling kind of this is obviously like a little more over the top but yeah. but i feel like people are more accepting of this kind of over the top stuff when it's foreign like when you watch like a stephen chow movie like those journey of the west films or you watch like an over the top bollywood picture people are more willing to accept that like over the top excess like ooh look how ridiculous that is but when you have that from America when you have stuff like Chappie which is just it has as to fucking stay a silly, little grounded a yeah. little more grounded mm-hmm. in reality people are like oh that's silly it's bad like, it's not as exotic and exciting yeah like it's still good though yeah I I don't know I just constantly surprised by things in this in these two films like hearing Indian new metal was like a revelation to me when it happens in both pictures. Wait, when, when does the new metal, uh, when Chitty goes to the, uh, lady's birthday where, um, (laughs) the scientist is going to propose to her, uh, Mm. Chitty shows up in this like sort of my chemical romance suit. Like he's wearing all black with like a red tie. (laughs) He's ready for the black parade. Uh, And he has terrible bangs. (laughs) And, uh, then they play, um, Indian new metal and the two of them ballroom (laughs) dance to it. And it's amazing. There's also a scene where Chitty, um, dresses in, drag and walks the runway yes. after giving everyone oh, the sorority yes. house makeovers like it's just constant surprises yeah and he's like this adorable like superhero character. well i will i have to give a shout out to raji is that rajni rajni the actor he is charismatic as fuck dude he carries this movie by pure just oozing charisma like i could see why he's such a popular actor and politician yeah like Dude just oozes charisma. It's, it's so great. funny seeing him outside of the wigs because he's like completely bald with kind of a scraggly comb over and like yeah. way overweight and does not look like he does in the movies at does all. Does not look cheaty. But they must girdle him up or something because he like looks like a <laughs> legit movie star in these films. <laughs> yeah. I, I love Superstar Rajni. I get it. I get the <laughs> I get it too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, what do y'all think about this movie fitting in with the overall theme of today of like humans or... Well, you know, more evil than the monsters and the uh, outcasts well, besides and the little that, people I, of the world. I did draw a parallel to Monster Club in in the way that it has those 
concert scenes kind of in yeah. between the stories oh, yeah. as a refresher oh, the music yeah. videos do the exact same thing for sure in this picture there's no um breaks like that in tiptoes you just have no, to live t- with well, it tiptoe let's just <laughs> throw that in the dust strike that for the record <laughs> but i i did draw that as a parallel and i think that's a really cool way to keep a movie going and keep it fresh yeah, it's know. like a it's like a palate cleanser. We need more yes. music and movies. Yeah, more mu- music videos. Yeah, and I will say, Chitty doesn't really start fucking up until they give him human emotions and like human, uh, you know, sentiment. That's when right. he starts getting jealous he starts and he fail. starts like getting combative. And they do have like a message at the end too, where they basically say that like that's when he became corrupt is when they gave him human <laughs> feelings and humans. I love how it ends where he's like just torn apart in a museum gruesome it's very weird <laughs> oh no the actual tearing apart is gruesome in the end it's oh, kind of yeah. funny yeah no but it just it's interesting yeah Dude, after um, like three hours and then it jumps ahead to like 20 30 i was like oh no are we gonna get like 30 more minutes like what <laughs> what time are we at right is there gonna be like a planet like the cheaties have like formed like an evil like death star i will say planet. in the new one there's a there's a new chitty and he's very tiny he's like ant-man oh, size oh, it's so mind. cute <laughs> love that are there as many music video moments in 2.0? Actually, no. But I don't know if that's different from the theatrical edit we saw. I mean, we saw a very long movie. It was like three <laughs> hours. But instead of um, there being interruptions every like 20 minutes or so, mm-hmm. instead it was this giant, all the money you could imagine in the world thrown in like one big music video at the end. And then the credits sort of start rolling like towards the end of that. Hmm. It would look like the most expensive part of the movie, but it was all contained in like one bit. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the the uh, the humans are evil theme, Brittany? Does that fit in here? I think that's what our theme is. Okay. Like humans that like non little people no. are like <laughs> shitty is like the theme because the little people are good. And you know, do we do we include monsters and robots in that? Monsters <laughs> are yeah, monsters and robots. Like we judge, we judge them, yeah. and we shouldn't because they're better than us. And we make people watch terrible movies on podcasts, even though they're our friends. <laughs> <laughs> we are terrible human beings. I don't know. We'll come back at it with another episode in a couple weeks. We'll talk about more ridiculous genre films, I'm sure. Yeah. Please tell other people about this podcast. Spread the word. We beg once a year. This is the time right now. <laughs> <laughs> Share this show to people who listen to movie podcasts. And if this stuff doesn't turn them on, if Tiptoes, Monster Club... <laughs> And what what is that in even theory. called? In Theron doesn't do it then. Can I tell you what uh, 2.0 is about instead of yeah. uh, I'm, know, not gonna watch, I'm not going to watch it. You're not going to watch it? <laughs> Should I? I'll make you watch is it. Is it three hours? <laughs> oh, Next God. year when we do this again, we're doing 2.0. God damn it. <laughs> Maybe. I'll probably forget by then. But yeah, it's about um, two things. It's about birds rights activism. Whoa. It's about how birds have a right to live in this world. And about how cell phones are evil for preventing that from happening. So okay. that's not a big enough tease for which does fit 2.0. into your your technophobic oh activities. yeah you're making no. us into technophobes yeah <laughs> that's my main goal with this show in my life <laughs> bye everybody bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs>